Hey, Lily. I was thinking of what movies have the best quotes that are, you know, applicable to product people. I mean, there are great business movies out there, but it feels like all the best quotes are things about sales or greed or, you know, just not the kind of inspirational thing I'd hope that we aspire to. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's all kinds of things from Wall Street or Glengarry Glen Ross or The Social Network, but not so much about the importance of discovery. What got you onto this topic anyway, Randy? Oh, it was actually our guest today. He was so inspirational on the topic of moving your company from services to product. And, you know, at one point she gave us a Jerry Maguire quote. And no, it wasn't show me the money. Although I did almost blurt that out at another point in our chat. I know, I could see you holding yourself back <laughs> with much restraint. Uh, you're right, though. Kirsten Mann is the Chief Product Officer at Prospection, and she was amazing to talk to. But if you want to find out what quote she did use, you'll have to check out our chat. And if you do have any suggestions for great product-related movie quotes, let us know. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover more. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium content, discounts to our conferences around the world, and training opportunities. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Good morning, Kirsten. How are you today? Uh, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Lily Randy. I've got to say, <laughs> super excited. I've been an avid listener of your podcast, I think, back from when you started. So it's it's surreal to finally be talking to you. And a huge call out to um the fabulous Lucy McLean, which I think was the one who connected me to you guys. So thank you so much, Lucy. Yay, go Lucy. Um, well, I'm really excited about talking to you today about turning services uh, or service-led businesses into product-led businesses. But before we get um, stuck into our topic, it would be really great if you could give our audience a real quick intro to you and how you got into product and what you're doing now. No worries. I, I think, um, and that's a Australian phrase. I'm sure you've heard a lot as well with the no worries. <laughs> um, look, I did, like most people in product, I've come to, into product probably in, in a roundabout way. Um, I did double degrees originally at uni in accounting and computing and continued through in the computing side. Um, started working out at Ernest Young as an auditor of all things and, and within six months I was out of audit. Um, I'm not sure if they were trying to get rid of me or if it was just natural intervention. But um, it was while I was at my, I was kind of finishing my third year of uni, started working and um, went in onto the consulting side and ended up working on digital products, but it was more websites and things back then. And um, EY actually sent me to the States and it was right back in 96. So yes, I am <laughs> quite old. That was, you know, if you're counting down the years here. Um, and this little thing called Amazon and Google, well, not Google then, but Amazon had just actually launched. And um, so it was during that time that I kind of started to have this obsession with stringing things together. And that, that led me to leading product development teams in the States. And um, when I returned to Australia, I was wanting to go more to startups to kind of be where you'd get to 
do the original stringing right right from the beginning with the business model. So all the startups I ended up working in um, were acquired, including my own. And um, I had this kind of bit of a mid-career crisis by then where I was like, oh, this product thing is hard, right? Like you invest a lot of time and then the companies get acquired or it's tough, you know, making it all work. Um, and so mm. I had this kind of dream of, oh, maybe I, my calling is to be a radio announcer and a personal trainer. And I kind of did those on the <laughs> side. But um, I've, luckily, I've got kids with very expensive gaming habits. So luckily, I stayed with tech and um, went back in-house and started building out user experience and product teams. And first one of that was at MYB, worked at another place, um, known brand. These are brands that are probably better known in Australia, um, Census, and then my so MYB was kind of my first unicorn. Aconex was my second unicorn. What we mean by that, they became global success stories um, and were bought out and, and did pretty well. And it was really at MYB that I was fortunate enough to work with an amazing founder. And it really cemented my love for working in founder-led businesses where you've got this founder who's so passionate about the problem and about the customers. And so when I went to Aconex, another founder-led business, and it was wet there. I, again, worked really closely with one of the co-founders, Rob Philpot. We ended up being acquired by Oracle. And um, that was really interesting in the sense that I joined their exec. Um, the rest, me and Rob, who was founder of Aconex, we were the two execs that came over into Oracle, stayed there for a couple of years and um, thought, you know what, I want to go back to founder-led businesses. So that took me to where I am now with Prospection. And it's a health tech kind of startup. It's startup, it's been around for 10 years though, so <laughs> not totally a startup. Um, and we're on a mission to get the right patient on the right treatment at the right time. So really, it, it's amazing to be able to work on, I've always had things that had societal impact or, you know, in products sometimes where you're going, people get into these long discussions and you go, we're not saving lives, guys, just make a call. We are saving lives now. So it kind of feels a lot more real when you're dealing with that type of um, scope. I suppose the other thing that's changed in the last couple of years is working more on boards now too. So um, I work on two boards uh, as non-executive director being a product advisor. So that's another whole extension gone from kind of the journey into exec, but also see the other half of board. So a lot of, um, lot of different perspectives now I've got in these roles. That's amazing. And it sounds like you've worked for so many really successful startups and like sort of big corporate businesses that have you know d done amazingly well so uh, I'm not sure whether you're just well, super me. lucky or actually <laughs> you know you're the one that's like driving the world to this massive here? success <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know if it can be attributed all to me but it's it's definitely <laughs> part of that journey and and I think that's a it's so much when you can kind of look back at that and at the time, you're not necessarily seeing, but there's definitely ingredients that you start to see what makes companies yeah. going to be more successful. And that was definitely when I, I've written an article about this on, on my LinkedIn, if anybody's interested, but it was kind of how do you match make to an organisation? And, and they're kind of the things that I've laid down now and look for in, um, in my current and future roles. Nice. Well, I think we'll all be following very closely your career and working out where we should be working next. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, at Prospection, you've been on a journey in that business to convert it more from a service-led business into a product-led business. 
And I'm just curious when you kind of started working with prospection and and when you kind of started assessing like how the business was sort of operating and and what the model was like how did you first think like this business could be a product-led business like what was the assessment that you made to go we can actually make this transition Mm, yeah and it sometimes um it was I was almost when I became aware of prospection, I was informed that, hey, we're going to be a product business. So that was interesting. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a product business, right? Um, so then, of course, you bring your perspective to that and say, how far from reality is that you know, in terms of what people want versus that reality? Um, the, in the case of prospection, I think they were definitely on that journey already. Um, they d- created a number of um, platforms and one had found market fit in Australia and it just hadn't, it had been kind of created for Australia. It hadn't been extended to the rest of the world and things too. So they'd experienced kind of a part of what product market fit is like. And there was a lot of ingredients there to become a product company. Um, Mainly one of the most important things was the appetite at the board level. It was really the board that were pushing Eric, the CEO, and the rest of um, the organization to start thinking this way and to say, hey, guys, you know, what you're doing, and it, it wasn't just you could say, oh, because it's investment and and um, it's a multiplier aspect, but it was also, you know, you're never going to, what you're doing is amazing. You're never going to be able to do this at scale globally if you don't start thinking differently. Stop just thinking about doing this for Australia and, okay, now APAC and things. How do you actually do this and do it quickly for the world. And that was kind of the underlying motivator. It wasn't just um, purely financial from a board perspective. So that was interesting and quite different. So the appetite was there. Then what came was how far from reality are we really? <laughs> and and um, so when I come in and I'm like, oh, and of course, and, and thank you again, actually, Randy. When Randy spoke about this topic, it made me think, oh, okay, I'll document kind of my last couple of years and really reflect on that journey and what we've done. And sometimes I just don't think we take the time to do that, right? Like we, we're caught up in this product world and everything's happening and things are moving and, and we don't really stop as, as we've done certain phases and think, oh, how do we actually, how have we done and, and what have we done to get here? Um, so going through this for you guys was fantastic because I actually took a step back and thought, oh, okay, <laughs> what were all the pieces that have pulled this together? Um. Kirsten, going back to, to basics on this, I'm curious. So I've been through God knows how many transformation projects in my life. One of the things that always holds them back is there's no definition of success or definition of done. Mm-hmm. So you're going on a transformation uh, led by the uh, initiated by the board to become product-led. How do they know when you've been successful? And how do you then explain that to people and say marketing or sales or other areas? Because when you say product-led, it kind of implies that it's not them in charge anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it's there's a couple of elements there too, right? It's it's the shape of the organisation, I think, is one as well. Um, and it's a really interesting factor, I think, when you – and this is for people if they're approaching roles or, or they've come into a role and been told something and then they're in this and thinking, this doesn't look like what I've been told. Um, look at the org chart, right, and see where the allocation of people lies, right? And um, so – 
in the case of prospection, if you looked at the original org chart, very service and client um, focused oriented in the sense of, and lots and lots of touch, everybody hand-holding, loving, serving customers, but again, not scalable and quite costly, right? Like that type of model is, becomes very costly to scale in particular. So one aspect is what's the shape of the org and how do you want to change that? And we wouldn't have been able to scale in the model we were in because we had very specialist consultants that you tap out at a certain point. You just haven't got that type of analytical PhD backgrounds of, of that type. There's only so many of them in each country kind of thing. So um, brilliant people, but you tap out at a certain point. So Shape of Org was one. Revenue profile is the other one. Usually in service organisations, a lot of your revenue is coming from a couple of key customers and big accounts, big revenue ones. You get a lot of smaller guys, but typically as you start to get value, the, the um, and this was definitely the case for prospection, we had a couple of farmer that just loved us and they were starting to use us more and more and more and more, almost that we're becoming this in-house um, group for that. And that was the case with a number of customers. So again, that's risky, right? You don't want your business to be linked and dependent on a couple of, of accounts. So the profile and the composition of revenue was another aspect of success, Randy, that the board were very interested in changing. How do we get lots of customers, maybe not spending as much, but not as dependent on a couple of these really key high-profile customers was one. Other aspect was growth across regions versus, so we want to actually start to see growth in Japan, US, and increased share of wallet. So again, unless you're a product company, it, it starts to become hard to increase your share of wallet without additional resourcing um, on the services side. So they were kind of some of their success levers and, and obviously had numbers and things associated with that that the board were looking for. And you mentioned you had quite a lot of support from the board. Did you have um, detractors as well that you had to kind of manage through this process? And, and how did you go about sort of helping them through or persuading them to, to jump on board or maybe exiting them from the business if it's not the business that they wanted to be in? Yeah, it's, I, I would wonder if there's ever a change initiative <laughs> doesn't have some detractors, right? Like there's some people that just are not going to like this whatsoever. Um, and so obviously less so at the board, it was more, that was within the business for more um, pockets of detracting. And I've got to say like the exec team and everything bought into that vision and and there were a couple that didn't and, and they're no longer with the business, interestingly, so that they were some of the ones and not for anything, oh, this is outrageous, but the business shape where it was heading didn't suit what they wanted and what their skill sets were, especially if they're being more oriented towards service type of businesses. Um, detractors inside where, again, sometimes you it's people are really obvious and some people you don't necessarily realise initially and it sneaks up on you. A clear, obvious one for us was um, our former customer success team. I say former because none of them are kind of there now. Right? It's a different shape of um, customer success for us now. But it, that was very tricky to deal with initially because 
the whole model had been like they were the voice of the customer. So nobody else was allowed to speak to customers. It was the the customer success side. So not great for product when you can't actually speak to customers, everything's third party. And there'd also been this whole dependency built around this function because everything had to go through them, right? So very they felt very good about that. It's quite, hey, Mm -hmm. we're very important, but you're also crippling the business because, again, not scalable to do something like that. And ultimately, it's as you, even if you think about customers increasing, you can't keep that type of service levels either. Because if you get more customers globally, how are you going to give every customer your your mobile and say, call me whenever you've got a question? That's what used to happen, right? And so all of that had to change. And that was a that was a hard pill for some people to swallow. So that was probably where the biggest resistance came from. So how do you go about starting this transition? Who do you work with? How do you introduce it to people? How do you bring them on the journey? (laughs) Well, the first part is, you know, assessing where you are, right? Like, what are we dealing with here? And then it was like like anything with a product strategy or company strategy, thinking about where do you need to be and how are you going to get there? What are the steps in between to get there? So really the first part for me was that, organizational assessment, people assessment, tech products, tech, all the rest of it. Then saying, right, okay, how do we how do we change this? What do we, what does it look like where we want to be? And creating the vision for that and getting buy-in. So the first one was getting buy-in from the board and the exec that that this and especially the CEO slash co-founder. So once that was accepted and, and seemed reasonable, of course also involved in that is your leadership level as well, because they have to kind of, you're working with them to get intel on the business and understand what the impacts would be of doing certain things. So once that was kind of there, I put in place a strategy that was accepted at the exec team level and then saying, okay, what would would we need to do, not just on the product front to do this, because believe me, there was a lot of work we had to do with the product and engineering to get there, but in the rest of the org, what else needs to change? So I couldn't just be thinking about my product area and function. I had to kind of think end to end. And so like what I said right at the beginning of my career, it's been about stringing end to end experiences. And same with Aconex and same with NYB. My roles were always never product. It was how does you extend the experience? And so exactly the same thing applied here. I had to think about how would our sales process have to change? How would our customer success? How would our support process? What would we have to do? And not necessarily own all of those, but help the people who did own those understand what needed to change and why and what could we do and help to make that happen. So we actually had to work not just on the product parts we were creating, but what would be the actual, is there a system part that we need to create to support the consultants? And there was, and, I, and I've talked about this in, in the post I've done where, in a sense, we've got two sides to our product. It's the customer facing, but there's also the consultant tool. And that was pivotal in being able to take the consultants on this journey as well. And so, Randy, I mean, it's ultimately about saying, how did people come on this journey? It's not just thinking this is a product thing and, hey, everybody, aren't you excited about the product strategy? It's thinking, how would this impact the whole org and how do I help those areas understand that and work and come up with a plan that supports this as well? And that the, all those pieces, you kind of 
it's not this beautiful linear, <laughs> this to one than the other. They're all kind of working at the same time. Um, and so that was really important to also consistently bring to the exec and say, how are we going with this? Where do we think we're kind of not getting it or where are we falling by? And have that kind of transparent discussion at the exec level. They were two pretty pivotal things in that change. Also being able to call out the elephant in the room. Yeah, it's sales was the other area that was a detractor inadvertently, right? Because initially it kind of seemed cool. We're going to have these products. This is awesome. Got it. Oh, hold on. I can't just sell anything now. <laughs> so then changing that and getting the sales guys and also that means your shape of how you've been getting revenue is going to change as well. So there's lots of implications and lots of quite hard pills to swallow. And again, there'll, there'll be parts where you're kind of on these journeys and people will go, oh, this isn't what I expected. And so you kind of just have to not react too much and think, okay, that's cool. How do we actually work through to see that this will be okay, but it's not maybe as fun and sexy as you initially thought? Hey folks, are you looking for an opportunity to learn from the best, connect with other PMs and sharpen your skills? Then you won't want to miss MTPCon in San Francisco on June 14th. This year's lineup of incredible speakers includes Christian Idioti, a partner at Silicon Valley Product Group, Yiwei Ang, Chief Product Officer at Tawabat, Natalia Williams, Chief Product Officer at Hootsuite, and many more. Also, check out the schedule on June 13th. The team have arranged a bunch of in-person interactive workshops led by experienced product managers who will share their secrets and demonstrate their tips for success. These workshops are designed to be for everyone, total newbies and seasoned pros alike. Go learn some stuff and make some new product friends. So what are you waiting for? Grab your tickets now at mindtheproduct.com slash San Francisco. And we'll see you there. And in that transition, the obviously you have customers who are expecting a certain type of experience with you as a business. And then you're trying to create this new type of experience. You know, how do you or did you or either migrate the customers to the new experience or did you continue to support the customers with the kind of the old legacy style way of working whilst also trying to build out the the product-led um, version of the business? Yeah, and it's Prospection was almost four businesses in one <laughs> somewhere, so it was, it was very complex of coming into. But it, and it's, I love this question because there was a lot in this, with, as with all of your questions, there's never any little surface pieces here. Um, what we did was we said, okay, we can't take all of our, we've got to have a platform to go forward with and it's got to be the global platform and guess what, we're going to have to bring all the Australian customers that are existing customers onto this platform and that that meant that we had to make sure that one, we were going to, there would be features we would have to replicate in this new platform, the go forward platform. But we didn't want to just take everything over that was already in the Australian platform. Because, um, as you know, a lot of those things aren't necessarily always used. People say they're very broad and then they're not. Now, how do you kind of work that out? Well, part of it is usage statistics. There wasn't usage statistics on the platform. So we had to instrument pretty quickly and say, hey, can we at least get a snapshot and a feel 
for where are people using things and let let that I kind of almost did that day three right get is there instrumentation in this no get it in <laughs> I want it in right um, and so the other part though of course is the discovery side so pretty quickly we got ourselves into in front of customers existing customers and so kind of stop that hey you know we don't, um, from the, uh, the customer success guys being the voice of customers we said right product need to get in front of customers and really understand what are they doing because we might be switching things off and customers won't be happy so let's let's be preemptive about this and did the pitch for us speaking to customers and there was a lot of resistance around that because you know I didn't come from the pharma or health industry will you be able to have a conversation with customers and and that they'll think that it's credible and I, I thought oh, I think I'm gonna be okay <laughs> but let's you know but there was a trust aspect there so we we let we enabled the CS or the salespeople to come on that call they could see how we were doing it it was all very professional all the rest of it so but part of that was really understanding and getting to the bottom of need and real value and what were the key things that we from a customer kind of you know the analytics always tell you the what they don't tell you the why can we get a bit more color around that why and form a view there what we ended up with was then saying we have a pretty clear idea of what's going to needed to be replicated and let's start getting that into the new platform but let's also start planting the seeds with customers that things are going to change so we knew that to get to new platform was going to be a nine to 12 month program gives us time to plant the seeds and start to let customers know things are going to be different. Um, so all of those were the pieces. And then of course, we. so this was part of the strategy I put in place was it was called split switch and scale. So that's part of the other thing with a product strategy. I think you want to be able to make it something that people can remember and recite. And so I would hear everybody go split switch and scale and it's going, cool, they've got it right. And what does it actually mean? Well, they knew what each of those phases meant as well. And they knew once we got to switch, we were going to be ready to bring customers over. And so when we started to get there, we were taking customers and taking, taking them through that transition. And of course, there'll be things we've missed. And again, you need to be transparent about that and saying, hey, we think we've got a pretty good grip here, but we're not we're not we haven't got the crystal ball there's going to be things that we just don't know and again planting the seeds that so people aren't how did you guys not know this all of that stuff making sure people were going to be aware that there were things that we're still going to have to do that we might have been aware of initially and of course that happened but they weren't um, huge so we're able to deal with that as well but I think there's a number of pieces there of um, it's never it's kind of that plan of how you're going to take customers through this change and how would you feel as a customer if this was happening to you another decision there which was interesting was price we decided with um, we hadn't increased price for our customers for a while and so initially there was like right they're coming to this cool new platform they're getting all these other additional things they haven't got before we should increase price and I said now let's let's actually get them to the platform don't give them all the other things and say hey this is in your future if you'd like them but don't automatically give that away but don't change and increase price because suddenly you put a barrier for switching we need everybody on the one platform creates efficiencies for us, then we can upsell the other stuff. Kirsten, it sounds like you've been through this a bunch of times. You have a whole lot of skills around this, uh, both dealing with customers and dealing with other parts of the business. I'm curious, getting the right product team in place, 
what do you look for in that team? What kind of skills do they need to have to to go through a transition like this? Yeah, it's it's a really great question because I you think having done this a number of times, you've got this playbook, right? But I find every time I go into one of these companies, sure, you've got things in the tool kit, but it's different because you're dealing with different products, different industries, different people. And um, so you can't just pull out the same playbook. Of it. And it's it's one of the things I think, unfortunately, I've seen time and time again. In So in coming into this, I potentially made the same mistake, right? Thinking, oh, I know there was these great product people I've worked with before. They'll be awesome because they can deal with everything, right? And Prospection's a different company again. And I guess what? You need to really have a strong interest and acumen for data. And so what I realized is, so Randy, kind of to your point, initially I would have thought, you know, coming into this product people, they're smart, capable and and curious and things like that, that you'd be fine. You'd be able to work it out. I pretty saw, and we had some of those people, I pretty quickly saw that wasn't the case. And that, it was another learning for me where I kind of had to say, wow, okay. It's because, and why was that? They were struggling and they weren't happy. And they were like, oh man, this, because health tech sounds sexy and interesting and everybody's like, ooh, this is really cool. And then you get into the data and it's really dry. <laughs> it's very complex. And people go, oh my gosh, this is really killing me. And so their souls were getting drained. And, and so it wasn't bringing them the joy that they thought that they would get by being in this sexy health tech company. And so that was a lesson I had to kind of take a step back then and go, right, the profile of product person that worked in a different organization for me isn't going to work here. And they have to, and just because you're interested in data or you're interested in health, that's not enough. You have to have shown that you're very passionate about data and, and worked deeply in it because I don't think you're going to survive if you're not. And that's so we had to change that profile of of person we recruited Andy and that was a, a couple of iterations but also respectively from both sides so product people some people who would have been great in another organization and and I'd worked with before and I knew culturally that they were a great fit it just wasn't their joy right and um also the stage we were at to your point with transformation some people think transformation sounds fun and lots of change but guess what people don't like change <laughs> like they re- a lot of people like certainty and they like to know that things what am i going to be doing for this week and the following week and guess what half the time you are running crazily in these environments so if you're if if you are about to go into an organization that's talking about lots of change and you think that's, oh, that's a bit interesting things, what it typically means is that you have to be very flexible, adaptable and resilient because a lot of the things that you think are, or your tools that you have, yet just have to be able to change and adapt. And again, a different profile of person. So there was a lot of lessons in that for me, Randy, of the people I initially thought I really had to rethink. And now we've, we've settled into what I think is the right profile. But guess what? In five years or that might be completely different again as we're at a different stage. Um, and just thinking about the kind of the different relationships and the way that the, those different functions are operating, 
How did that impact um, the technical team and, and the kind of technical department? And what was that like working with, um, I guess, your kind of your counterpart, CTO or, or whatever was the kind of the head of the technical division and changing the way that you're working from very much servicing customers and delivering features for customers, presumably, to, um, you know, to a much more sort of product led uh, way of working? Well, I, I think one of the lucky things in my situation was the CTO and the engineering org were really ready for this, right? They were they were sick of kind of being factory, feature-led kind of and really wanted change. So wanted that change but didn't know how to make it happen. And it was really, I think when, when I did the interview and met Ricky and everything, I was who's our CTO, I was like, oh, I, I felt like if you guys see Jerry Maguire, and um, when, yeah, with, so I don't know whether yeah, I was yeah. Tom Cruise or Ricky was Tom Cruise, but, you know, I felt like that scene where Tom turns to, who's Jerry Maguire, and he turns to Renee Zellweger's character and says, you complete me. And this is what I felt when I got Ricky, oh. right? And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, my goodness, where have you been all my life? I've worked this long in tech and, it, and this is and it's taken me this long to find you. And why is that? And, and I remember even saying to Ricky in, in one of our, it was kind of week three or something like that, and I said to Ricky, you know, in six months' time, from if we're talking, what do we want to see? Exactly to your first question, Randy, what's success for us? Like, what do we want to see happen? And Ricky said to me, I, I, you know, I have to think about it, Kirsten, but even having you here is just better. And I was like, oh, you completely. So what his attitude and everything is wonderful, but that permeates right through the engineering team. And what's the essence there? It's that they are, it, it, there's nothing is ever too hard or, you know, you, you strike some teams sometimes where it's, they'll use excuses to avoid leaning into the problem. Oh, that will take us six months or blah, blah. And you're like, okay, I can see you really don't want to do this. It's never, it's never that, right? It's, let me understand the problem. Let's share this together and of that understanding. And how can we work together to resolve that? And having that in an engineering and product relationship is so critical. It makes everything so much easier because you're in step. You don't have to try to convince somebody else of what you're trying to do. Um, and so Ricky has been that whole and the engineering side has just made this possible. If we had that resistance there, we would not have done what we've done in the time that we've done it. So mm. I think if the key to success, you've got to, and coming in, I've, believe me, I've, you guys would have been the same. You deal in environments where you're thinking this is hard work, right? And you're subservient or whatever it is. Seeing that with Ricky and seeing, I could see right from the outset, that was going to be a different situation here and it's been exactly the case. So having somebody who's really geared towards working together in partnership and taking their teams on that journey as well is pivotal. Mm. Amazing. Um, and then uh, there was just one more question that I think we have time for. We're, we're like really running out of time, but this has been so good. Um, <laughs> Um, I'm like, quick, I need to ask you more stuff. Uh, um, how you mentioned about pricing earlier and that kind of switch from, um, I guess, the kind of custom pricing for individual, uh, the individual customers that you have and then more uh, switching them over to like product pricing. Like, 
what what tell me more about that sort of pricing change and like kind of how you're working before because I think it was a subscription model with a bit of service attached like how how did you go through that assessment and and was that very much led by product or was that led by the board or like like who was kind of making the call on where the pricing would be set was this the last little question at the end <laughs> it's just a tiny just a tiny question uh, look pricing is always a challenge i mean I've, any organization i've worked in it's it's challenging um the and i would say we were suffering the goldilocks or we've suffered the goldilocks experience in the sense of uh australia um had set its prices too low and they were had defined like basically set an expectation in market which is quite hard to move from because competitors have kind of entered use that as their pricing level and then you you haven't got a lot further to um come up or down the so when we went into japan we had gone the other extreme and almost too high right so the porridge is too (laughs) too cold too hot so we wanted to get just right in australia in the u.s and so part of that was um lily to answer your question it's a cross-functional um team effort and different people product obviously part of that um, but also we're, we're really lucky that we've got a strategy group in, um, in our company as well. Like our chief of staff has, um, is very strategic and has a strategist that works with him as well. And so would contribute thinking to that model as well. And also experts from each of the regions. So it's coming up with pricing. You can't just say, Oh, this is what we're, we're doing with the product side. It's okay. The expertise in the people who've dealt with that data for a long time. How have you priced that previously? What have you done? What, even when you were doing services, what was included in that service? And trying to get a real read on value. Like what is, how do we price value, right? And, and that's really challenging. Um, so typically, like anything with product, we did a straw man, we iterated it, tested it with friendly customers. Are they dying at this one? <laughs> no, that's maybe too much. Next one, coming back. And then really the ultimate test is that you've then been able to sell it at that level and, and thinking to new customers. Um, and so that that's kind of the, the exactly like you would approach a product. You, I don't think pricing is ever a static thing. And you've got to kind of have straw man of what goes into it, making sure people understand the levers across that. Um, and things like we weren't very sure initially of the cost to serve, right? We didn't have a lot of data to um, that had been recorded. We had, a, we had a few guesses and things, but there wasn't a lot of historical data. And again, you want to be factoring all of those things. What's your, your cost of acquisition? What's all of these things across that value chain need to be factored into your pricing? What do you do if you haven't got it? Well, you take a step and then you be prepared to iterate on it if you, if, as you start to see the data and if it's real. So again, setting that was going to be the expectation with how we were going to approach pricing was very important. This isn't just going to be this one-off thing and everything's magic and, hey, wow, we'll do this in iterative stages. We'll get feedback in different ways. This will be the type of feedback we'll be looking for. Some of it will be data, some of it directly from customers, and we'll evolve that pricing. So I think it, like, it was another thing of um, thinking in, in bets and, and iterating on it, and that's been kind of the language that we've used more and more across the organisation. 
I also had some terrible mistakes there too, where I was like, ooh, you know, we're drugs, we're, because one of our key customers of Sparma, right? So I was like, surely Pharma who um, have really expensive drugs should be paying more for our product. They get more value. Like, can't we do like that value-based level? And of course, you start to research it more and think about that. And usually that they're doing rarer drugs, means less patients. So they're probably not going to get the same return that we're thinking because they're getting less, finding less patients through our product. So things mm. like that, you initially come into it and then you, you actually learn the reality. But if you do ever find someone like Martin Shkreli, who's trying to charge a million dollars for uh, insulin, then yeah, you can charge as much as you want for somebody like that. <laughs> There's a little ethical thing there, but we won't go into that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Kirsten, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was great. Thank you so much for having me and um, look forward to you guys coming to Australia sometime and joining us here. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. <laughs> Get the Barbie on. Oh, no, I can't do that. Put the on the Barbie. <laughs> The Product Experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg based band POW, that's P A U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Mm-hmm.